0: And open in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. We are also going to look again at Ephesians chapter 6 as well, as these two parallel passages once again certainly help us in understanding them. So I will read to you first Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, and then Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would make among us uh, families and homes that honor you, children who are uh, obedient and honoring to their parents, fathers who love their children by bringing them up in the discipline and instruction and admonition of you. Lord, we pray for Kairos Church. Uh, that we and they both would trust the gospel to be sufficient for uh, the salvation of the lost, for the maturity of the saints, Lord, that we would be faithful to proclaim your word, but also to reach out to the community around us, to love the community, to meet needs in the community, to live justly in the land here where you have placed us. Lord, we pray for our missionaries, Ted and Renati Rubish, we thank you and praise you, for uh, for working things out with their visas. Lord, we've been praying for that for some time and their visas have been granted and they're free to travel. Lord, we pray as they go to Germany that they will have a uh, restful and encouraging time there. Lord, that Renati in particular might be able to grieve the loss of her mother. And Lord, as they will likely be with us uh, in the fall, we look forward to that as well and ask that you would give them safety in their travels and great joy here together with us. Lord, we uh, we want to lift these requests up to you that they have asked us to pray for as they've expressed uh, difficulty um, just with COVID and the reality of, of things there in Sri Lanka and the difficulty it's been on them, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would just give them endurance through the burdens of whatever's going on there. Um, Lord, we, we want to pray with them as they have requested that there would be more access to vaccine and more opportunity for people to get vaccinated. And, uh, and, and as they have not been vaccinated, Lord, we, we pray for their health. Uh, in in that place as well, uh, and that they would stay well and able to serve um, those around them. Lord, we pray that their ministry would be uh, effective in not only maturing believers and, and helping to make healthy churches, but also uh, to call new believers to yourself and, uh, and that you would be saving the lost through the work that they are doing there. Lord may the word sound forth from us in all places, and at all times may, Uh, May the gospel, may we take seriously the charge and the command to take the gospel out of this building and and into our worlds, into our homes, uh, to our neighbors, to our co-workers and friends and family. Lord, give us open eyes to understand your word today. but Even more than that, give us soft hearts to obey it. And We ask these things for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue to unpack in these two books what is uh, just... Uh, in a genre called household code, as Paul continues to give instruction to both, uh, well, first wives and husbands, and now children and fathers. This is a very important text for us to consider in many ways. Um, a couple I want to share with you, just before, well, several, but but I, I think th- I think this is a really important text, as well as what we've seen previously. Because I, I think if we were to, uh, to ask people what are some of the greatest sources of pain and difficulty in their lives, we would probably hear them say marriage and parenting. And we have addressed marriage, and I think oftentimes we, uh, we find in our homes and in our marriages difficulty as we stubbornly refuse to obey God's word about what it means to love our wives and respect our husbands. But here we get instructions to, to parents and to children. And I think this is a, a really important thing for us to understand as well. And this is kind of a u- unique set of instructions given in these two places. And I want to share with you uh, two reasons why I think these, um, these instructions to children and also to parents uh, should, should cause us to see this as, re- as a really important issue maybe that we don't see at first glance. And so before we get to that first point, I want to draw out two ways in which these texts show an incredibly high regard for children. And in no particular order, first and foremost, we see that, that out basically outside of Scripture, in, in other writings where household code, instructions of how to operate in a house or uh, or. Organization, there are never instructions given to children. Children were not valued in this in this Greco Roman society. They were disposable. Uh, If you didn't want them, you could just throw them out in the street and let them die. Literally, they were not valued. And there was no reason writing to them. And so the fact that Paul gives instructions to children in these two books tells us that he had an incredibly high regard for children. For, for who they are and for their, their place in the body of Christ. But I think secondly, and maybe most importantly, is the fact that Paul expected children to be with their parents in the regular assembly of believers to hear these instructions read. Paul expected children to be involved in, corporate, in the corporate worship and life of the church. He didn't expect them to be in Sunday school or children's church, or children's ministry, so their parents could have a break while, you know, somebody else took care of their kids. Now, I am certainly not opposed to children's ministry in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I'm I'm for it, and I'm pretty fond of the children's ministry director here. Um, But, I think one of the things that we understand is that the typical model of how can we streamline church so that I can send my kids off to a class, go to big church, and then move along is not really the biblical model. That families uh, worshiped together, children worshiped together. I'm just, I'm going to tell you right now, okay, I'm just going to give you all a warning. If you come to my office Nobody's done this either, so I'm kind of being, you know, facetious here. But if you come to my office to complain about the noise of children in church, I'm going to ask who the grown-up is. Because the, the noise of children in church is delightful and wonderful sounds in the body of Christ. It should cause us to have joy and not frustration. It should cause us to be grateful as we see a generation of parents bring their children up in the worship of of the body of Christ. I I think a much better model than dropping our kids off and going to big church would be to let your kids go to children's ministry and your teens to youth ministry and get involved in an adult Bible class that can do things in a class setting that we can't do here uh, in a pulpit setting and then worship together as a family. One of the things that I really appreciate is uh, just in thinking of, of spiritual development, one of the things we tell people as they go through, engage and think about coming becoming members uh, of Trinity, is, is uh, devote your whole Sunday mornings. I think that's wise advice. I think it's good use of time to invest your whole Sunday morning here at Trinity. And, and let your kids get some of the things that they need there but then also let them participate here. The reality is our children are not the church of tomorrow. They are part of the church today, and they matter today, and they should be present and with us today. And so Paul's instructions to children is both unusual and extraordinary and shows an incredibly high regard for children, for their well-being, and for their participation uh, in the life of the church. And because Paul starts with children, and by the way, in, in, uh, in all of Ephesians and Colossians here, he always starts with the, the, the party that is uh, submissive and then the party that is authoritative. And so he addresses wives and then husbands, children and then parents, and slaves and then masters. And we find that pattern being uh, lived out here again. And so we're going to start with instructions to children. Now, uh, I'm primarily going to talk to the children who are in the room today. Sadly, there's not very many, Um, but I'm going to talk to children first. But before I do address children, I would say that I would note that the term that Paul uses for children here is a reference to one's offspring and not a reference to age. In other words, my 21-year-old daughter is my child, but she's not a child. And so these instructions that Paul gives, they're not limited to youth. These are instructions for all of us. And so the first command that he gives us in both passages, we're going to consider Colossians 3 first, is to obey, is to obey. And that obedience is a matter of action. Obedience has to do with, with how we act. And this is not a difficult concept to understand. When your parents tell you to do something, you are to do it. And one of the things we say often in our house, and, and, uh, and this goes for all of us in regards to what God asks of us as well, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. We, we are to do what our parents ask when they tell us. Teens, you are still under the instruction and authority of your parents, and you are to obey them. Adults, you are still the children of your parents, and obedience might look very, very different, but we're going to talk about how uh, adults can relate to their parents. And kids, for for the kids who are in here and the teens, it's obvious that you are still children, and you are simply to obey. But the reality is, what is simple is not always easy, because oftentimes when we give our kids instructions, they prove to be what they really are little sinners. It's like the one thing we don't have to teach them, right? You have to teach your kids how to do everything but sin. It comes built into them. And so just because obedience and the concept of obedience is simple, it doesn't mean that it's, that it's easy. It's hard work, but we have to do it. And Paul gives us two kind of guidelines in your obedience to your parents. First, and we've got these two on bullet points up here, he says to obey in everything. Notice in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything. You don't get to pick and choose what you obey. When your parents tell you to obey, you do what they tell you, when they tell you, because they are an extension of God's authority in your life. They are the ones whom God has put in control of your life. But second, you're told to obey Jesus first. You're told to obey Jesus first. In Ephesians chapter 6, notice that what Paul says is not obey your parents in everything. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, what does it mean in the Lord? Is he saying that only children have, children only have to obey their parents who are believers? Is this, is this, uh, uh, are the parents what are in the Lord? And so if your parents are not believers, you don't have to obey them. I don't think so. I think in the Lord here qualifies what the parents are asking of us. So if your parents ask you to do something that is wrong, you should not do it. I know real examples of kids who have been asked by their parents to do illegal things like steal or cheat or lie. In those situations, you have an allegiance to obey Christ first. And so you are to obey your parents' in everything, as long as their instructions don't violate what God has told you to do. But secondly, you're not just to obey your parents, you're to honor your parents. You're to honor your parents, and honor is a matter of the heart. I mean, we've probably all been told to do something and begrudgingly obeyed. That's not what Paul is calling us to here. He doesn't just want us to obey our parents. He wants to obey our parents with the right attitude. In Colossians 6, we're told, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. We are to honor our parents. When your parents tell you to do something that you don't want to do, you still have to do it, but you also have to do it respectfully, whether you like it Or not. And sometimes our hearts aren't right, but that's when we work on our hearts and we preach the gospel to our hearts and we remind ourselves of God's word that we're not only to obey our parents, we're to honor our parents. But kids, children, teens, young, whoever you are in here, uh, Paul doesn't just give us these commands and say, okay, now do it. He doesn't say obey and honor your parents and that's it. He gives us actual reasons for why we should obey our parents, and so uh, number two on your outline there. I want to look at reasons for children to obey and honor their parents. Reason number one, we've got uh, some additional slides here. There we go. Reason number one is that it is pleasing to God. This this should be enough. And for no other reason, you should obey and honor your parents because it pleases the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, we're told, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. This word right means fitting. It's fitting. It's, it's, uh, it, it's in place to obey your parents. But also in Colossians chapter 3, we're told even more clearly, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. You should obey and honor your parents for no reason other than, than it is pleasing to God. That should be enough. But it's not the only reason that Paul gives us for obedience. He says it's not only pleasing to God when we obey and honor our parents, it provides quality of life. Now, how many of you, you don't have to actually raise your hand But I would ask the kids and teens, or even all of us for that matter, how many of you woke up today just thinking, I hope today's a really bad day? I mean, I hope today doesn't go well, I hope everything goes wrong, I hope it's frustrating and and just nothing goes right. Well, one of the reasons Paul gives us for obeying our parents is that it may go well with you, verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 6, after calling for obedience and honor, says to obey and honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you. I know oftentimes when we're young, it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't feel like it, but it is good, it is for your good that you are to obey your parents. Life, I mean, at least this is true in my house, and I've had the conversation lots of times with my kids, asking the question, Does it ever go well for you to disobey? And of course the answer is no, it never goes well. It is more miserable in our house to disobey than it is to obey, and it should be that way. Obedience provides quality of life, but thirdly, it's not just quality of life that is promised here, it's quantity of life. What's better than having a good day? Having a long life of good days. Paul doesn't just say, children, obey your parents so that things will go well for you. He says, children, obey your parents and honor them that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The only thing better than a good life is a long good life. And so children, obey your parents. Do so with respect. Show them the honor that is due them as the God-given authority placed in your life for your good, and understand that even though you don't understand it now, it is, it is given to you for your happiness and for your good. Before we move on, by the way, as my instructions to kids... Before we move on to parents, I want to I say something to the adults in this room about this matter, and that is that uh, the, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3, or 2 and 3 rather, this, um, this verse that Paul quotes, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, it's a quote of Exodus chapter tw- in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and it is a commandment that was not given to a nation of children, it was given to a nation of adults. It is not just those under 18 who are to honor their parents. We are all to honor our parents. And I think if we were to trace this out throughout the Old Testament, which I'm not going to do this morning, one of the primary ways we see that we're called to honor our father and mother is to care for them when they can't care for themselves. They devoted themselves to our care when we could not care for ourselves, and we are to devote ourselves to their care when they cannot care for for themselves. But, but no matter what your age in this room today, you still have a responsibility before God to honor your father and mother. But next, and number three on your outline, Paul gives instructions to parents. Now, these are addressed primarily to fathers, but I don't think Uh, I I don't think that is limited or excluded to fathers. This is not to say mothers shouldn't do these things. This is simply to say that in both of these texts, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, we've been presented with the fact that husbands are to love their wives and that husbands are the head of the wife, which means that ultimately husbands are responsible before God. And we should never uh, be found in our parenting like we were found in the garden. Hopefully, when we stand before God and he looks at us and says, why why didn't you instruct your children and discipline them according to my standards? We're we're not going to be able to look at him and say, well, the woman you gave me, she didn't do a good job. He's going to say, I made this your responsibility, not your sole task. It takes a husband and wife to raise a child for sure. And we would be foolish not to understand the value of mothers spiritually and physically and emotionally in the lives of their children. But God has tasked husbands to be responsible for ensuring that that, has hap- that happens. And so the instruction here is to fathers and to make sure that fathers are, uh, are raising their children's children in the correct way. And so let's look at these, I believe I have four um, Yes, four instructions here given to parents. First, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, is do not provoke your children. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, again says, um, I did this last service too. I looked in chapter 1. Chapter 3, verse 20 says, or 21 rather, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, as I read both of these in the ESV, both Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6 uh, give us the command not to provoke our children. And in a sense, that's right, because that's kind of what both words mean, but it it is one, it is about the only place in these two sets of instructions where different words are chosen. The same word for children, of course, the same word for fathers, the same command to obey, almost the, the instructions where they're similar almost line up perfectly. Uh, in language in both books, except here. Paul uses a different term for provoke in Colossians chapter 3 than he does in Ephesians chapter 6. And so here we see that we are told not to provoke our children. The NASB translates uh, Colossians chapter 3, exasperate. And I think that's a good translation. The, The root of this word, what it literally means is to stir up. Children don't, or fathers, don't stir up your children. Don't incite them. Don't act in such a way that, that they are, are um, provoked and then become discouraged with you. We've probably all seen fathers who tease their children to the point of exhaustion, or maybe it's wrestle with them, or uh, whatever it is, to the point where the kid is just angry and frustrated, In that moment, that father has taken that too far. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here. Okay, Paul's instructions here are not permission to let our children become tyrants who we cannot ever upset. Sometimes you're going to discipline your children and they're going to be angry with you. Or you're going to give instruction to your children and they're going to be angry with you. And that sins on them. What Paul is telling us here is not to to go around and, and at the first sign of your child being angry, you stop that behavior as though the child is in control. No, what he's saying is that our actions can't be such a way that causes that. When our children get angry with us, it should be because of something sinful in them, not because of something sinful towards us. God is not a God who delights in making us upset and exasperated and angry. And we shouldn't be that kind of parents either. So we should not stir up our children until they are frustrated. We shouldn't do nothing, maybe, until they're worn out as well. So the first instruction is to not provoke your children. The second is to not anger your children. In Ephesians uh, chapter 6... Uh, Note here that fathers are told not to provoke their children to anger. Provoke to anger is one word. The root of of that word, uh, provoke to anger, is the word anger. NIV translates this uh, word as embitter. Don't behave in such a way that would give your children a reason to resent you. These concepts aren't far off, but but they are different. Uh, The first one is to not wear out our children. And the second is to not, not act in such a way that our children would have uh, a reason to be angrily bitter at us. Thirdly, we are told to give godly discipline to our children, to give godly discipline to our children. Now, I think what primarily comes to our mind when we hear this is what often gets called punishment. But I think this has a much bigger scope than just that. There are two types of discipline. There is formative discipline, and there is corrective discipline. And for some reason, when it comes to disciplining our children, we think primarily in terms of corrective discipline. But if you knew somebody who uh, got up early in the morning, prayed, read their Bible, went to work, kept their life in order, went to bed on time, got up early and... And did the things necessary for their health, you might say that they were disciplined. That's formative discipline. It's discipline on the front side before something goes wrong. It's discipline that leads to health and well being and happiness. But a lack of of formative discipline usually results in more need for corrective discipline. And so when we don't, when we don't, practice formative discipline, there's oftentimes something that goes wrong. There is a reason why health insurance companies and, and life insurance companies uh, connect your, the, the results of your formative discipline to how much you have to pay to get corrective discipline. Because sometimes when things go wrong, something needs to be cut out But hopefully, if we're being healthy on the front side, we need much less of this on the back side. Churches need formative discipline. We our our adult Bible classes. And this hour, this is formative discipline. It is good habits we create and things we do to hopefully avoid corrective discipline. But when things go wrong, sometimes we do corrective discipline as well. Our kids need this as well. If all we're doing is responding to our kids, doing nothing until something goes wrong, and then punishing them, that's going to break down. That's not our best, uh, that's not our best uh, way to lead our kids. We are to invest in our children spiritually. But, I want to make a bold statement here, and I would encourage you to consider this, and, and I will defend it, but here it is. To fail to discipline your children, both in and corrective ways, to fail to discipline your children is the same as murder. To fail to discipline your children is the same as murder. I know that's a big statement, but Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. To not care about the well-being of our children, both physically and spiritually, is to set our hearts on on their death. To, To fail to discipline our children both in terms of raising them up the right way, but also correcting sin, teaching them that sin is painful, that sin always has destructive consequences and is hurtful in our lives and destroys relationships, is setting our minds on their death. Hebrews is clear that God disciplines those whom he loves and that that an illegitimate child does not get any discipline. It should be the same in our lives. Proverbs thirteen twenty-four, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I know spanking is not as popular as it once was. I Uh, I mean, I think there's a a biblical case to be made for it, and I'm not here to debate anybody on that, but I think we could probably all turn on the news tonight and see whatever it is we're doing to discipline our children is not working very well these days. I'm not saying you have to spank your kids, but I'm saying your discipline should not be something that they like or enjoy or appreciate. These time-ins that we're seeing in schools Where you misbehave in class, you go to the principal's office, you get a snack and a pat on the back and sent back to class, it's not going to work. Because discipline is for the purpose of teaching our children that sin is painful and comes with unpleasant consequences and breaks relationships. To not be willing to discipline our children or to leave the discipline to their mother exclusively is to hate our children, to set their minds on death, and to not be willing to to drive folly far from them. But I would ask this question. I think this is the most important question uh, when we consider discipline. And that is, what is the tone of your discipline? What is the tone of your discipline? I think far often, more often than not, it's not the type of discipline that people balk at, it's the tone of our discipline. If somebody were to watch through your house, uh, through a glass window, uh, while you disciplined your children, would they see a loving father or mother who is patiently working for the healthiness, happiness, and holiness of their children? Or, Would they see somebody who was working for their own self-protective comfort? Do you discipline your children to get what you demand out of them? Be that respect, or obedience, or comfort, or ease? Is it your circumstances you're concerned with, or is it theirs? Discipline isn't pleasant, Hebrews is clear on that. All discipline seems painful for the moment, but yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you discipline that you might have the peaceful fruit? Or that your children might have the peaceful fruit of righteousness? See, when God disciplines us, He doesn't discipline us for His comfort. He doesn't discipline us for His ease of circumstances. And how do we know that? Because we're about to come to his table today and remind ourselves of his willingness to abandon his position, to to, uh, set aside the demand for respect and honor and worship that he deserved, and to be treated with contempt and hate, to even be killed, to, to show no regard for his own comfort so that he might rescue us from our sin. That's the point of discipline. You can't discipline your children for your own demands. You have to discipline them for their good. What is the tone of your discipline of your children? Because it matters. How you understand God, will, how you discipline them will, will be how they understand God. And it's a great opportunity to share the gospel with our kids, but we can't do it when the tone is all off and wrong. One of the things I'm very careful of in our, in our house is to never tell my kids that what they're receiving from me is punishment. I try and use moments where they need discipline to remind them that it was Christ who was punished in our place, but that loving fathers, like a loving God, discipline us for our good so that it might yield in their lives the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Certainly, I don't always get it right. We get angry. We demand respect. But our children should see in us the kind, gentle, patient, loving tone of mothers and fathers who discipline them for their good to instruct them in the dangers of sin. And that leads us naturally to, um, and we've already talked about it, that we are to give godly instruction to our children. It's not just discipline that we're to give them. It is godly instruction that we are to give them. Fathers, uh, Ephesians 6, four, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One of the most important passages in, in Israel's life was the Shema. This is from uh, Deuteronomy 6, and the, the word Shema comes from the Hebrew word for hear, which starts out this passage. And here's what it says. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So when we love the Lord with all our heart and soul and might and his words are on our heart, what is the result? Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Your life must be so word-centered and word-saturated that it flows out of you naturally. That it's, it's what comes out in conversation when you sit down, when you're around the table, when you're in the car, when you're on the way, when you go to church. If you, if you relegate the word of God to your life on Sundays, it makes a huge statement to your children. They, they will see what you really believe by how you act and how you live, not just by what you say. Because when it comes to our children, Far often, more is caught than taught. We are to teach our children, but we are to live as examples to them in this as well. We're to be in the Word daily and not just on Sunday. Paul expects children to be present in worship services. But Paul expects children, flowing right out of Deuteronomy 6, maybe I should say God expects children to be in the presence of the ministry of the Word daily when they are present with you. The Word of God is not just for the corporate gathering of the church. God's Word is to to come out of you. You are to be a source of the ministry of the Word to them daily when you lie down and when you rise up and when you sit down and when you're on the way, when you're traveling, when you plan a vacation, when you decide where you'll be on Sunday mornings. When you decide how to orchestrate your lives daily, week in, and week out. You notice what Paul doesn't give here? Is he doesn't give any reasons to parents as to why they should behave this way. Why does he give reasons to children but not reasons to parents? I think it's because the reasons are the same. Do you want things to go well for your children? Do you want them to live long in the land? Do you want them to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord? Then discipline them, instruct them, teach them, and be good examples for them. Present them with, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, of what is most important, and that is that God saves sinners. And that he did so by sending his son to die for us. Share the gospel with them regularly. The gospel is sufficient to save. It's sufficient in our lives. It's sufficient in their life. It is the word of God at work in the people of God. I want to close with one story that really stood out to me some years ago. There was some kind of celebration of Billy Graham's life going on. I can't remember if it was a wedding anniversary or a ministry anniversary or maybe it was a birthday. I think it was a birthday. But his children were kind of scattered abroad and were not able to all be present for this, uh, for this celebration. And so in preparation for that, uh, each kid was filmed. And they were given the opportunity to talk about their dad. And they, 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 uh, there was no coordination done. They just simply talked to each of his four children about who he was. And there was one thing that all four of his kids shared in these interviews. One thing that was common between all of them. And it it didn't have anything to do with his public ministry. It didn't have anything to do with what he preached from the pulpit or or what he said in evangelism. It didn't have anything to do with TV interviews or the number of people that God uh, saved as a result of his ministry. The one thing that each of them recounted was that they knew That if they woke up early in the morning and came downstairs, they would find their dad in his chair with his Bible. And the impact there was that they saw in his daily personal priorities what he said in his public persona. He didn't go out there and put on a show and then go lived differently. He believed that the word of God was sufficient. He, he believed that it was necessary for life. He believed that he needed it like oxygen. And so he faithfully woke up in the morning, went downstairs, and prayed and read his Bible. And his kids would catch him there. And they saw in their dad consistently consistency with what he said in public, but how he lived his life personally. I I think it was of John Bunyan that somebody said, cut him anywhere and he bleeds bibline. The Bible is just so in his blood that when he bleeds, he bleeds Bible. That is the kind of parents we need to be. That is the kind of grandparents you need to be. No matter where you cut, no matter where you go, no matter where you are, the Word of God is so ingrained in you that it comes out to your children, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren, that they see consistency in what you say and in how you live. And as fathers and mothers, that we faithfully discipline them with both formative and corrective discipline. Lord, may our homes be filled with such instruction and discipline. May we teach our kids of the painfulness of sin and of the the joy of righteousness, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Lord, may we live in such a way that that our lives are consistent with, with what we say we believe, that we live meaningfully engaged in the corporate life of the church and daily in your word, that our children understand that we have been placed into a body and that we are really unified as a body, And that we not only participate in the body as part of our worship, but in relationship with you daily. May we see generation after generation after generation in this church love you and delight in you and be involved in the corporate worship of the church, not as the church of tomorrow, but as the church of today. And we ask these things for our good as well as for your glory. Amen. We're going to... uh, Come to the Lord's table.